God, it's in your presence. We lay our lives before you. Nothing is hidden from you. Even if we think we're hiding something, you're all-knowing and you're all-seeing. And you want to take broken people like each of us in this room. And you don't want to patch us up. You want to make it brand new in our lives. God, but it comes when we bow before you and recognize two things. Number one, we are not you. And number two, we desperately need you. We need you to touch us. We need your strength. We need your power. In your presence, Lord, in this moment right here, there is no song that can be sung apart from your presence. There are no words that I can speak apart from your presence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are at work in this room, in the lives of people. And we say yes to you. We bow before you. We bow our hearts before you, recognizing there is no one like you. We trust you. You are our living hope. Would you be the teacher today? I don't have anything good to say in my flesh, but in the Spirit of God working through me as a vessel of truth, you can bring the truth and you can apply it into the lives of those of us in this room like no other. So do what only you can do in this moment. We'll be sure to give you the praise. No praise goes to us. No glory goes to us. We don't deserve anything. We only deserve wrath, but through your grace, you have set us free. And since we're free, we're free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Thank you so much for the worship, the beautiful time of prayer. Just continue to be in a spirit of prayer and an attitude of prayer. Because you might wonder why are we talking about prayer? Where if you've been with us, we're in chapter 3 of Ephesians. We've been working our way through this book. And Paul tells us about what it means to take a prayer that he's going to pray so that you don't lose heart. That's where we are, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. You remember last week we talked about how uh, Paul's problem was he was thinking that those believers in Ephesus were going to lose heart. And so he starts out with a prayer. He says in verse 1, for this reason in chapter 3, and then he disengages and gets distracted and says, wait a minute, I'm in prison and I'm afraid they're going to lose heart in the ministry, so let me say a few things in 13 verses. And then he picks up with the prayer that he started in chapter 3, verse 1, and he says it today in chapter 3, verse 14. So he says, for this reason, look at the text. Let me read it with, you read it in your heart with me. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from who the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he, look at the power of this prayer, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, that's important, what is the width, the length, and the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, look at how he closes this prayer, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations in vision forever. That was my addition. Forever and ever. Amen. And when Paul closes with the word amen, he says, let it be so and don't you ever change it. 
That's what he says. So this is a powerful prayer. This is a prayer for those of us in this room that may have a tendency to do what Christians do, and that's disengage, that's lose heart, that's be depleted in energy to where we can't continue to run the race. And Paul says, all this that I'm going to say in chapter 3 has to be bathed in prayer. Prayer is that tool which God uses in the toolbox to bring us to a position of dependency upon Him. You may think this is a Hail Mary prayer. Do you remember what Hail Marys are in football? Do you remember your football, your history? Do you remember Notre Dame? They threw the the Hail Mary pass, and then it was carried on with Roger Staubach and Drew Pearson in 1988. I mean, Roger Staubach said, I just closed my eyes and prayed, Hail Mary, and he threw a pass, and lo and behold, there's Drew, Drew Pearson, and he catches it. Then the most famous one was Doug Flutie at Boston College, right? You remember him? And he threw a Hail Mary. And basically what they're saying when they throw a Hail Mary pass is there's no way that we're going to win this game. This is a last, stay with me here, ditch effort to see if there's some way we can have hope at the end of this pass. Here's the difference in biblical hope and the world's hope. Biblical hope is founded on God and His Word. Hope is not a hope and st- uh, happenstance. It is hope that means I have rooted and grounded my faith in the hope that Jesus is alive. And because of that, it's not a Hail Mary. It's all about Hail Jesus. He's the King, and my hope is connected to Him. So when I throw my, the pass, if you will, and it's going down there and it looks like it's not going to be caught, it's going to be caught because my hope sees beyond what I see here and it sees out there because that's what faith does. Faith pulls you from here all the way over to here. And Paul says, look at the text. I'm not making it up. I, Paul, here's what he says, for this reason, here's what he says, I bow my knees. I bow my knees. That's important because Jews didn't bow their knees. It was not common in their society, in their culture. They would stand. You, you see it at the Western Wall. You, you see prayers where people will be rocking back and forth and they will be standing. There's all kinds of prayer postures in the Bible. But Paul was so serious about this prayer, he said it's a serious situation and if these believers in Ephesus aren't able to connect with this prayer and live out the truth of this prayer in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's all for naught. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to stand. I'm going to bow my knees. When is the last time that you got on your knees before God? And it's not so much the position physically as much as it is the posture of your heart. Bowing your heart before the one. When you bow, it's very important here in the text. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you bow your knees, here's what you're acknowledging. You're acknowledging that he is to be worshiped. The bow principle is this, believe, obey, and worship. That's B-O-W. That's the believe principle, the bow principle. So when we acknowledge God, when we acknowledge that he's God and we're not, and we bow our knees, we are bowing in desperation for him. We are bowing in humility to him. Humility is when you get so low, people don't see you, they see God. And so that's what Paul's saying. I want the people in Ephesus to see you, so I'm going to come to a position of humility, a position of dependence on God. That's what prayer is, and that's what Paul's saying. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. 
Now, he says, I bow my knees to the Father. And a lot of people would say, well, that's good because that's what prayer is. Prayer is bowing our knees to the Father. That, that's just what prayer is. Prayer is not just bowing our knees to the Father. Listen, it's bowing our knees to the Father because God the Father completed His work through God the Son. And so prayer is not just bowing my knees. Prayer is bowing my knees to the one who can actually answer my prayer and hear my prayer because our God is alive. He's not a dead God. So bowing our knees is not just praying. It's praying to someone who is alive who has the answer. So the Father does not just want to work on you He wants to work in you, and in you is through prayer, and that's important. Notice the connection he makes. He says, the Father, I bow my knees to the Father, from whom, verse 15, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Do you see the connection here? The Father and the family. You're only in the family because of the Father's love. Do you understand that? So the Father has connected those of us in this room together because of his grace toward us. That's how much the Father loves us. He loves us so much that he puts us in a family where we're all different, we look different, we act different, we have different personalities. But the one commonality that we have when God the Father puts us in the family is we have come to the Son by faith. His Son, Jesus Christ, who paid the sin debt that you and I owe, He put us in a family so the Father can say, Freeman's in my family and John's in my family and Sandy's in my family. So you don't want to miss the connection that Paul makes here between the father and the family. The Jew, the Gentile, the Asian, the Filipino, the African American, the Anglo, the German, the Italian, all in one family because God the Father loves us so much. He says, you want to come into a family? You come through Jesus Christ, my son. I'll connect you to a family like you've never seen before. Now watch this. Fatherhood comes from God. He's the fa- all ideas of being a fatherhood comes from the idea of the father right here. So a lot of people say, talk to me about Jesus, talk to me about the Holy Spirit, but don't talk to me about the father. Well, I'm going to talk to you about the father because Jesus said, if you want to know the father, you get to know me. So all ideas of fatherhood come to the father, God, the father, who's a perfect father. So all these ideas of fatherhood, it's, it's an idea of a family. And so the reason that people say, don't talk to me about fatherhood, is because they had an earthly father who was bitter or angry or mad or disengaged or disenfranchised or whatever, and they think that God, the Father, is like their earthly father. But I got good news for you. God wants to reparent you today. He's the perfect father. No matter what blemishes you have as an earthly father, our God has no blemishes in him. And he connects us to a family. And Paul says, I bow my knees because I want you to know what a family is really like. Do you know we're family in here? Do you know your walk with God affects me and my walk with God affects you? You can't say, I'll just do whatever I want. I'm just a Christian. I'll do whatever I want. No, you did whatever you want before you became a Christian. But now that you're a follower of Jesus, your walk with God affects my walk with God because we're connected into a family. Now, that's important to understand. And that's what Paul's saying, that there's no individualism anymore. It's a family in a community of faith. Now, here's what he says. Verse 16. I'm sweating early. It's good. 
Now he prays that he would grant you, now watch this, grant you according to the riches. I pray the Lord could give me the strength to say this, how beautiful it is. Look at this. That God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened. That's passive. That's, that's God can only do that. Be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Do you see the connection here? He says he wants to grant you a gift. Salvation, we've already seen it in Ephesians. Salvation is a gift. Last week we saw that ministry is a gift. Now listen carefully. Do you know that power is a gift from God? He says, I want to grant this to you. As a child of mine, I want to grant you. I want to gift you. And I want to gift you according to the riches of his glory. That's what the text says. So write this down. He wants to grant us divine empowerment, not entitlement. Divine empowerment from God, not entitlement. And he uses a phrase here. He says, according to the riches of his glory. Not out of the riches of his glory, but according to the riches of his glory. Do you know that God the Father wants to lavish you and grant you according to the riches of his glory? Not out of the riches of his glory. The word according to it would be, if I was a millionaire and I gave you out of my million dollars, I could give you $10 and you could walk out of here and say, Freeman granted me according or out of his wealth. I just gave you $10, but it didn't affect me. Now, if I'm going to give you a gift according to my riches, it has to be close to representative of the million dollars that I have. So if I granted you $900,000 today, that would be a gift according to the riches that I have. Do you see what Paul's saying here? He said, your God, God is so rich. He's so powerful. He's such an awesome father. All the riches of God he has, and you can't count the riches of God. Our Father is loaded, and He wants to take His loaded nets, I don't know if that's a word, and load you with the riches that are His, because when He gave you Jesus, He didn't give you out of His wealth. He gave the very best that He could give, and His love moved toward you, and when it moved toward you, it connected with you, not out of His wealth. He gave according to His wealth. That's how much God loves you today. God loves you that much. He has a plan for you. The song we were singing about being broken, who in here is not broken? Who in here has not bowed their knee before the Lord Jesus Christ and the God the Father? And so Paul says that he wants to gift you according to the riches of his glory, look at the text, to be strengthened. It's passive here. To be strengthened in the inner man. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. This is a glove. This is a, I'm going old school here. This is a Dan Marino isotoner glove. That's what this is. Do you see that this glove has no strength in it? This glove has no power. If I say wave to these people, this glove cannot wave to you. This glove absolutely has no life. Now don't think about the other illustration of the glove that you're thinking about right now. You think about this illustration of the glove. All right? Now watch this. This glove has no power in and of itself. It can do nothing. It was destined to rot in a package on a shelf. This is before Amazon. Package on a shelf. And I purchased this glove, and this glove has no life in it. But watch this. Now, you take my hand that does have life, 
and you put it inside the glove, I'm, I'm, I'm describing the word strength in here. It's not a strength that you have. It's a strength that God has for you. So this glove that didn't have any kind of strength, can't wave at anybody, can now wave at you, can now point at you, can now go go Longhorns or Cougs or, hey, hey, this afternoon, are we not right? I mean, five slam pajama days are over. We got a new day here in University of Houston. Yes, we do. All right. Now we're talking. But the point is this. This glove has no life until you put life, watch this, in this glove. Do you understand what God the Father has done through Jesus Christ, his son, he has put life in you. So the things that you could never do, you were destined to rot. You were destined to go to hell. But Jesus Christ, when you repented of your sin and, you came, and he came into your life, he now puts life into you. So now you have the obedience to be able to follow him. When you bow your knees before the Father, you have a power that you never had before. And now God can do through you whatever he wants to do through you. He says to be strengthened, look at the text, to be strengthened in the inner man. That's the core of who you are. That's the core of who I am. This is the bridge, the inside. God doesn't want to strengthen you with external circumstances. He wants to strengthen you with the power on the inside. God the Father wants to work on you, not in you. The way that He works in you is He strengthens the inner man, and that's Christ in you. So now you have this power. You have this power in you to be strengthened with might, look at the text, 16, through his spirit in the inner man. There was a story, I read it in a National Geographic, which means I'm going south really fast. And it's about the Alaskan bull moose. And the Alaskan bull moose, they say that the Alaskan bull moose in, in the fall, they fight these battles with these antlers and the males begin to have the mating season and they come together. Brother John would know more about this hunting por portion of it, but I wouldn't sacrifice a good story for the truth, so I'm going to make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. But these, these male Alaskan uh, moose, they, they lock antlers and they lock heads, and whoever it is that breaks off the antler, or sometimes the antlers go, and the moose that is stronger and the moose that is bigger ends up winning the battle. But the battle's not won in the fall, the battle is won in the summer when they eat, when they feed on the right things, and that's the way it is in the inner man. The battle is not won in the temptation of the moment. The battle is won in the summer where you and I feed the Spirit of God in us and we get the fuel of God and the food of God in our lives in the inner man and we begin to feed on God's Word and that inner man begins to be strengthened so when fall comes, we can say the victory's already been won in the summer because I learned to pay the price in godliness and holiness. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying it very clearly here. It's a beautiful thing. Now look at the text. Here's what Paul says, that Christ, he's just making these connecting words, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's stop there. The word dwell means to be at home at. When I went to ETBU, I had a dorm. I lived in that dorm. I did not dwell in that dorm. It was horrible. Chuck Davenport, who got ordained this morning, we stayed in the same hall. And uh, I, had, I had blinds that were, you needed to duct tape them. I had holes in all, in all of the curtains. I couldn't even get a good night's rest there. The bed was terrible. The accommodations were terrible. My roommate was horrible. Uh, in, in Jesus' name, he was horrible. <laughs> and so I never learned to dwell in my college dorm. 
But when I moved back home from ETBU and I went back home as only an only child can do to a place of safety, I went back home and I could dwell back at home. It wasn't like I was pitching a tent and I was dwelling for a temporary place. No, I dwelled there. I lived there. Paul says that, he, that Christ wants to dwell. He wants to make his home in your heart and my heart. Do you know how fast that can happen today? For those of you that have never trusted Christ as your Savior, and you know you need to, do you know in this moment, right now, as I'm teaching, you can ask Him to come into your life and He can save you. You can bow before Him in your heart and you can say, Jesus, save me. Come to live in me. Dwell in me. Make your home in my heart. That's how powerful the gospel is. That can happen to you today. And I would encourage you not to leave here until you make Christ at home in your heart. You say, is Christ at home in my heart? Ask him. He knows. Don't ask me, ask him. He'll tell you. That's what Paul's saying here, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Look at the text here. Here's what he says. That you being rooted and grounded in love. So this this, uh, love that we have from God the Father, we're, we're rooted and grounded in love. Love is not a temporary mood. It's an eternal love where God loved us before the foundation of the world. In the beginning, before the beginning ever began, he was there. And he loved us with an eternal love. Love is not a temporary mood that you create. Do you understand that? Christianity is different what the world's view of love is. This is agape love. This is a love that God can only love you with. And he gives this love. He gives his best love and sacrifices most because of the object that he wants to love. And that object that he wants to love is you and is me. Do you understand that? That eternal love, God, before the foundation of the world, he, he loved us. He existed. And, and you can go as far as you want to go, and he's still going to be there. His love is not a temporary mood. It's an eternal love that he has for you. And he gives his best and sacrifices his most for the object of the one being loved, and that is us. So God, if you can picture this this morning, as I'm teaching and I'm preaching and we've experienced this wonderful music, and we've had the deacon vote, and we've had the missions um, moment that we've had. Understand this, that God the whole time is moving toward the object of his love, which is you. God loves you so much. I want you to know that if you're here this morning, there is nothing that you can do that you say, I did this and God can't love me. He loves you with an eternal love. He will keep on loving you. Even no matter what you do, he continues to love you. He's always moving with his best toward the object of the ones that he loves, and his love sacrifices, and his sacrifice was his son. You talk about a love that's great, and a love that's strong, and a love that can dwell in your hearts. He says, be rooted, agricultural, be grounded, architecturally, be grounded in that love. It's not a temporary love. That's what he says here. Now watch what the text says. That you may be able to, verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height of this love. This is an amazing text. Circle the word all the saints. Do you know that God's love is powerful when it comes in a community of faith like we have here at Sagemont? It's not, an indiv- it's not just an individual love that you experience. This power that Paul is praying for says it comes in a, 
in a time with a community of the saints. We don't grow in isolation. It is a risky love. It is risky to move out of our isolation. It is risky for us to move out of our own individualism and go to an iConnect class or get connected to a home group. It is safer if we stay in our own individuality of our relationship with Christ until we understand that my walk with you, my walk with God, and your walk with God affects me and I affect you. Then we understand the risk is worth it. The risk is worth it for me to move into community because the text says it's with all the saints. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, look at the text, and the length and the depth and the height of God's love. Now, now, you'll never be able to exhaust the inexhaustible love of God. But you can comprehend it if you take some bite-sized pieces. Let me see if I can explain it to you like this, because I took business statistics three times in college. I know my numbers. How many numbers are there? Well, there are ten numbers. But if you just take, okay, you say, okay, there's ten numbers. But there's infinite numbers on, if you just take number one and number two, there's an infinite amount of numbers up from one and down from one when you get into .007 whatever or 2.4. There's infinite numbers on either side. And what you do when you study math or you study numbers, you realize you will never be able to call out all the numbers. You will never be able to comprehend all the numbers. But the more that you divide, the more that you multiply, the more that you add, and the more that you uh, uh, subtract, you can understand a little bit about those numbers that you really can't understand. Paul says you'll never be able to exhaust the inexhaustible love of God. It's too vast. There's too many numbers to count. He loves you with an everlasting love, but you can comprehend it. And then he tells us four ways how you can do that. The more that you understand God's love, the more that you walk by faith, the more that you grow in your relationship with one another, the more that you grow in your relationship with Christ, you begin to comprehend the love of God. Now let's look what the text says. He said the love of God is wide. It's not narrow. Do you know what that means? His width, it covers everything. He he doesn't love you in a narrow way. He loves everybody in a wide way. And when you look out wide and you try to comprehend the love of God, it even goes wider than that. And then you say, well, let's look at the length of God's love. If I could just see the length of it, I could see how far can I see and try to comprehend God's love. Well, think about it like this. As far as you can see and as far as you can look, you can never see as far as you need to see because His love is inexhaustible. It's unexplainable. It's unfathomable. So what you need to understand about God's love is God's love never has a concluding point. It is infinite. It is eternal. It is forever and ever. But watch this. By faith, I can experience that love in my life. By faith. God loves you so much. By faith in His Son, the inexhaustible, inexpressible, unfathomable love of God can be experienced if I can say, wait a minute, I may not know all the width and I may not know all the length, but I think this one I can understand. I know the depth of God's love. Here's why. Because he came from heaven down to this earth and he lived a perfect life. Jesus, the son of God, lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He was crucified. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. So when you think about salvation and you think about the depth of salvation, do you understand that no one in this room is 
beyond the scope of God's love? Do you know that none of us deserve heaven? We're not getting heaven because we deserve heaven. We're not getting heaven because we're good. We're getting heaven because we don't deserve it. But by faith, Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price so that we could experience the love of the Father. And that love has gone to the depths of my sin. And He has touched my heart. And He has changed my life. And so when I think of the width of the love of God, when I think of the length of the love of God, it is so far. And the depths that God went to save me and to love love me. I don't deserve it, but I'm telling you, by grace, I'm thankful for it today. I am so thankful for it. And Paul says, I'm praying this, that you may get this, that you may grab hold of this truth. Now, here's what he says. Verse 19, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled, this is really important, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God that you may be filled. The word filled means to the full. It means to be filled to the very brim. It means to be so full of God that he fills you to fill all in all. So it's like if I was pouring a a glass of, uh, I was pouring from a pitcher of water into a cup, that cup would would uh, fill up and it would pour over the sides. It would go over the brim. That's what the, world, that's what the word means here. So when you look at this text that God wants us to experience his love that surpasses knowledge, I, I may not be able to comprehend it all, but I can experience. He says, this is the way you experience it, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let me see if I can explain it this way. In God is all fullness. Christ is the fullness of the Godhead. We've already learned that in Ephesians. Now watch this. In me and you is deficiency. In God, there is no deficiency. He is totally full. So if you're here this morning and you're trying to fill somebody up, can I tell you something? You are deficient. You don't have all that in you. You don't have, you haven't surrendered to all of God that you can. So the fullness of God is Christ in me. Yes, he's in me. But, but inside of me is my flesh, and I'm still deficient. But in God, where the fullness is, he's not deficient. Now, I'm going to help you a little bit on marriage here. And Lord knows I've, I've, uh, I've learned some things over the years, and I've, I've had to uh, rethink some things that I've said. But here's what I know. I'm fixing to be married 30 years, and it's been wonderful. My wife is beautiful. She's lovely on the inside. She is a, she is a wonderful woman. But listen, we've learned this in our marriage. We can't fill each other up. That's not the role of marriage. Do you know that a lot of marriages get in trouble because the husband is trying to fill the wife and the wife is trying to fill the husband and you're living out of your deficiency and she's living out of her deficiency so there's no way that the husband can love as Christ loved the church out of deficiency and there's no way that she can submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ out of deficiency. So here's what we learn. We can't fill each other up. That's not the purpose of marriage. Here's the purpose of marriage. That we go to the one who is full. We are not the source to one another. We are a resource to one another. Is that not right? There's marriage counseling. It'll save you some money. (laughs) By the way, we have a wonderful counseling ministry. I'll just plug that in there. So Paul says that you may know that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that you may experience him, not in deficiency, but in all of his fullness. Now, verse 20, here's where he comes. Look at the text. We're coming home. 
Here's what he says. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. According to the power that works. Now to him, Christ, who is able. Do you know that when we bow our knees before the Father, listen carefully, we're bowing our knees to a God who is able? He is able. He is able. There's an old school song. He is able. He is able. I'm not Misty. I'm not Jordan. I'm just, I'm just me. Even if you can't sing on key, it doesn't matter. You just make your melody and your heart ring to the Lord. But God is able. So when we start thinking about envision, when we think about all the things, and we discussed this as a staff this week, when we start thinking about the $10 million that is still needed, um, maybe it's a little more than that, when we start thinking of all the things that we're doing and how God has blessed each of us and how each of us are to get before the Lord, that looks like a huge mountain that we can't climb until you read the verse that says now, He is able. So we serve a God who is able. And if He is able, I am praying to a God that's not dead because all the little G-O-D-S are dead. There are people that are praying to dead gods today, little G-O-D-S, but the God that we pray to and the one that Paul prays to says that God is able. He's able in your situation. He's able in my situation. He can resurrect a marriage. He can resurrect a job. He can resurrect anything in your life because He is able. Our God does things for us in order that we might be in a vessel of truth where He can flow His wealth through and also His love through. So Paul says, to him who is able, now watch. So in vision, the 10 million, it's really not that big of a deal when you start talking about how big God is and how big of a deal God is, right? So we don't even pass offering plates here. We just ask you to get before the Lord and give what the Lord tells you to give. See, there's no pressure in that. See, because we want you to know that God is able to speak to you and he's able to flow through you that which he gives you as you yield to him. So envision gets exciting when we just think about we're not able, but he's able. And if I'll yield and surrender to him, then he'll tell me what to do. And if God tells me to give, then if I give, I'm obedient to that. Listen carefully. If God tells you or me not to give, then we're also being obedient. You will never be beat up over the head in this church about giving. In fact, you don't, some of you, we don't pass an offering plate. We have receptacles. If you feel the Lord wanting you to give, you give. Because all giving is a worship experience because He's able. Our God is not a beggar. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And His mercy and richness and His grace, we just trust Him. He can do it. Now watch this. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works where? In us. It's kind of like having a French drain. Do you remember when Harvey hit? Some of you had French drains at your house. That French drain could not keep up with the water flow. Every French drain in Houston, Texas and the surrounding area was overflowing because there was that, that, that hole is not big enough to capture all of the water that's going into that drain. It's just spilling over. And that's really a picture of the incomprehensible, inexhaustible love of God. We can't comprehend it. God dishes it out. And He's so big, He's able to do exceedingly abundantly. He's going to fill the drain. He's going to flood it all around us because it's according to the power that works. Look at the text. Inside of us. So the question is, when you pray, you shouldn't pray 
unless you're willing to be obedient to what God tells you when he answers your prayer. Same with me. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is saying. And then look how he closes out. Now to him, be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him, not to a church, not to a pastor, not to people, not to the community of the saints, to him goes all the glory. You know why this is incredible? If all the power comes from him, which the text says, then it makes sense that all the glory would go to him, right? So if you ever see any good in me, I will never say, oh yeah, I'm really good. No, if you ever see any good in me, it's where Jesus has had to kill my flesh and has had to break me down so that his beautiful life can be seen. So if you see any good in me, I'm just going to tell you it's because he is able and he's done it and all praise goes to him. The power goes to him. The power comes from him. The power comes from him. The praise goes to him because he did it all. And so that's what we do. Think about the opportunity we have at Sagemont in both of our services in here and then our uh, Hispanic service and our Spanish service at 1115 that Roy teaches and on Wednesday night. We are all gathered together preaching the Word of God, teaching about the grace and the mercy of God so that God can get all the glory because He deserves it in the first place. And so that's what we're doing. To Him be glory in the church, in the church. The church is bigger than this building. The church is bigger than Sagemont. The church is the worldwide church where people by faith have trusted Jesus. It's a church that connects us with every tribe, every tongue, every nation across this world. Those people who have trusted Jesus as Savior, that's the church. It's not a building, it's people. People from whom Jesus died. And it says this, by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You tell me that's not one powerful prayer. You say, is your, your prayer life is boring? Are you kidding me? There's no way it's boring. Look what Paul says. Man, prayer's not boring. I bow my knees before the Father who can do anything he wants to do with someone who has submitted and yielded to him. Let me close with this illustration. I was pulling up to work the other day, about 11 o'clock. I'm on the second shift. I'm just kidding. And there was a... Uh, Person, he had a, a truck that said Houston Works or something. He was uh, handling some fire hydrants, and he took this, um, this big apparatus. It kind of turned. It was like a turning thing that he had, and he, ca he captured it on top of the fire hydrant. Now, I know the fire hydrant, once you loosen the water that's down underneath the ground and he opens that fire hydrant up, that fire hydrant can release all that water, and it comes in power. So I guess he was just checking to make sure all the fire hydrants were still connected to the reservoir that was down in the ground. And so when you think about the church, when you think about the power that we have and how God wants to work according to his power and he wants to work that power in us, what we have to understand is God has this vast reservoir of power. And you may not see it. Maybe it's unseen. Maybe it's like underground. But just like that fire hydrant, that fire hydrant has all that pinned up water in it. The reservoir, the pipe is feeding the fire hydrant. And as soon as that gentleman opened up that fire hydrant, water began to flow toward the Sagemont Annex. And, I, and then as soon as he opened that up, he closed it off. And I thought, boy, that's a picture of what Paul's saying. All power 
is resident in the Lord Jesus Christ. My job is just to be connected as the fire hydrant is so that when God wants to flow His wealth or His power through my life, then all I have to do is yield to Him and be connected to Him. And then when that power opens up in my life, it flows and it splashes and it's full and it makes a difference in ministry. And that's what Paul's saying. To Him be the glory forever because that power that's forever and ever and ever resides in you. And this morning as I close, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, He loves you with an everlasting love. A love that is deep, a love that is wide, a love that is far, you can't fathom it. But here's what I know. By faith, you can experience it today. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you, don't leave this place today without going to our Connection Center, which is right as you exit these doors in just a few moments. There are people there. It's in the glass doors there. You can take a right or a left. Go in there and tell someone, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to have all power living in me from now on. I don't want to live another day in my sins. I want to live the rest of my life trying to comprehend this inexhaustible, unfathomable love that's for me personally. You can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior by faith. You can do it right where you are. Let me pray for us as we go. If you're here this morning and you say, I've already trusted Christ as my Savior, but you know, Sagemont is a special place. I've been coming, I've been visiting. I'd like to know more about membership. I'd possibly like to join this church because I've already joined Jesus Christ. I know Him personally. Maybe you'd like to go ask some questions. That's the place that you go to join the fellowship here at Sagemont. It's also the place you go if you've never been baptized. They can schedule your baptism. But the most important thing is Paul says this all begins with prayer. I bow my knees before the Father. So I'm going to ask you as we close out this service, as I pray, you draw a circle around yourself and you just pray right where you are. And you say this, God, what would you have me to do today? Ask yourself the question, Jesus, do you have a dwelling place in my heart? He'll tell you yes or no. If the answer is no, Receive Him by faith right now. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I want to know what it's like to be loved and valued by you. You can receive Christ as your Savior. Whatever decision that you need to make today, you can make it before God Almighty. He loves you so much. Father, we come thanking you so much for this day. We thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for this text. What a beautiful text about how Paul prays that these believers in Ephesus won't lose heart. And then he just points them back to the Christ that lives in them. How beautiful it is for us in this room to not stress over the future, but to rest in the fact that Jesus has everything covered. We don't have to worry about envision. We just have to pray about what the Lord wants us to do and how He wants us to be a part of a community of faith. And so that's our goal, Lord, is just to surrender to, before You, just to bow our hearts before You, just to trust You today. So, Lord, I pray as we have sung beautiful songs about worship, about the Holy Spirit, about Your presence, I pray that no one would leave this room without knowing for sure that they have trusted You as Savior.
And they would make the decision today. They would have the faith to walk into the Connection Center and say, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Father, we love you today. Encourage us as we walk out of here by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for that.